Forgotten Classics, where a good story never goes out of style. Hello everyone, I'm Julie, and here we have episode 251 of Forgotten Classics, where we finally hit real adventure with The People of the Mist by H. Ryder Haggard. First, a podcast highlight though. This is a listening experience, which I have recommended before, some time ago, when I was talking about listening to the BBC via their website. It is called Soul Music. I'm recommending it again because now they're making it available as a podcast. They have just begun season 18, and they have everything from season 6 through what they're doing right now, up on iTunes. So you've got from 2008 to now. I think each season is four episodes. It might be six episodes. I can't remember. About half of them feature classical music. About half of them feature more popular tunes, such as Wichita Lineman by Glen Campbell, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, He's got the whole world in his hands. They run the gamut. I myself tend to prefer the ones that are based on classical music, but they're all interesting to listen to. Now, for anyone who doesn't remember or hasn't heard me mention soul music, let me quickly mention what it's about. They take one piece of music, whether it's a symphony, a smaller piece of sonata, some of the songs I mentioned, And while they're playing bits of the song to refresh our memory or to show us what it's like, they are weaving together the stories of a variety of people who have been deeply touched or affected somehow by these songs. And I remember there was one where I didn't know the song at all. I think it was a very British song, but it was a folk song. And it had to do with losing somebody you love at sea. And all the people who were talking were so affecting. I really enjoyed listening to it, even though I didn't even know what the song was. And of course, I got to know a little bit more about the song. I like to use it as a way to learn more about pieces of classical music that may be familiar to my ear, but I don't know the name of, or to learn more about various composers. As I say, I'm really delighted that they are putting this on iTunes and that they're putting the whole episode on. And when you think about it, that makes sense. They're only playing bits of the music. They're not playing an entire song. And that's where you run into problems usually with iTunes because of copyright and things like that. So definitely give it a try. I'll have a link in the show notes, but it's very easy. If you go to iTunes and type in BBC Soul Music, it's going to pop up. Give it a try. Now, back to a different kind of adventure. <laughs> this really makes me think of a roller coaster. We have been building and building and building. We've been going up that very tall hill, the first one of the roller coaster. We've been looking over the side and seeing all kinds of exciting things. Oh, baby. Tonight, we're at the top and we are going straight down and maybe into a loop to loop. It is crazy exciting. I had so much fun reading this. Oh, man. Before we dive in, let's get a few phrases to get us going. Shaveling means priest. In essence, you know, somebody who's had their tonsure shaved or their head shaved. Stone, that's an English weight measurement that is used. I... I don't understand why you do this, but it's just common usage. And I guess they're so used to translating it in their head. A stone is 14 pounds. So if somebody weighs 20 stone, multiply that by 14. 13 stone, multiply it by 14. I gotta say, as a country where people are always pointing at us for not going on the metric system and the British are on the metric system, I know this is an old book, but I've also read more modern mysteries, and they're always talking about so-and-so must have weighed 14 stone. I like it. I like that bit of irrationality. And Tusculum. That is a reference to a ruined Roman city in the Alban Hills. I'm assuming these are people who lived in Tuscany. When I looked it up, there was this huge, long reference on Wikipedia, and I couldn't pick out anything immediately that would be a reason why H. Ryder Haggard 
is referring to something like fighting like a tusculum. Well, we'll hear it as we go. All I could figure was these people were fierce fighters. (laughs) So somebody will probably know and they'll tell me, then we'll know all about it all together. And I think that's everything. You ready? Oh, we all know we are. Come on, let's dive in and I'll meet you on the other side. The People of the Mist by H. Ryder Haggard Chapter 12 A Choice Lot At the moment of Leonard's and Otter's introduction to his society, the Yellow Devil was about to make a speech, and all eyes were fixed on him so intently that none saw or heard the pair approach. "'Now, my friends, make a path if you please,' said Leonard in a loud voice and speaking in Portuguese. I wish to make my respects to your chief. A dozen men wheeled around at once. Who are you? they cried, seeing a stranger. If you will be so kind as to let me pass, I shall be most happy to explain, Leonard answered, pushing his way through the throng. Who is that? cried Pereira in coarse, thick tones. Bring him here. "'There you hear him. Let us through, friends,' said Leonard. "'Let us through.' Thus adjured, the throng opened a path, and Leonard and Otter passed down it, many suspicious eyes scanning them as they went. "'A greeting to you, senor,' said Leonard, when they had emerged in front of the veranda. "'Curse your greeting. Who in Satan's name are you?' "'A humble member of your honorable profession,' said Leonard coolly. Come to pay his respects and do a little business. Are you? You don't look at you look like an Englishman. And who is that abortion, pray? And he pointed to Otter. I believe you are spies, and by the saints, if you are, I am the man to deal with you. <laughs> That's a likely story, said Leonard, laughing. That one man and a black dog should venture into the headquarters of gentlemen like you, not being of the cloth. But I think there's a noble gentleman among you. I mean the Signor Xavier, who can vouch for me. Did he not send a note to Captain Pierre, whose dow lies in the harbor yonder, hailing from Madagascar? Well, Captain Pierre has the honor of accepting his invitation and arrives here, not without difficulty. Now he begins to think that he would have done better to stick to his ship. That is all right, Pereira, said Xavier, a huge Portuguese with a dash of Negro blood and a villainous countenance, the same man who they followed through the gate. I sent a note to the senor. I told you of it. Then I wish you had left it alone, snarled Pereira for an answer. I don't like your friend's looks. He might be the captain of an English man-of-war rigged up in our dress. At the words, English man-of-war, a murmur of fear and anger went through the assembly. Some of those present had experience of these hated vessels and their bigoted crews, who loved not this honest commerce, and to all they were names of ill omen. Things looked serious, and Leonard saw he must do something, and quickly... So he lost his temper, or pretended to do so. "'Curse you all for a pack of suspicious curs,' he said. "'I tell you that my dow lies yonder. "'I am half an Englishman and half a Creole, and as good a man as any of you. "'Now look here, Don Pereira. "'If you or any of your crew dare to doubt my word, just step out, "'and I will ram this down your lying throat.' and placing his hand on the hilt of his saber, he took a pace forward and scowled. The effect was instantaneous. Pereira turned a little pale beneath his yellow skin, for like most cruel men, he was a great coward. "'Put up your pig-sticker,' he said. "'I see you are one of the right sort. I only wanted to try you. As you know, we must be careful in our business. Come and shake hands, brother, and be welcome.' I trust you now, and old Antonio never does things by halves. Perhaps you'd better try him a little further, said a young man who was standing near Pereira, as Leonard prepared to accept the invitation. Send for a slave, and let us have the old test. There is none better. 
Pereira hesitated, and Leonard's blood turned cold. Look here, young man, he said more furiously than before. I have cut the throats of more men than you have whipped, but if you want a test, I will give you one. Come down, my young cockerel, come down. There is plenty of light for comb-snipping. The man turned white with rage, but stood a moment, contemplating Leonard's athletic form and keen eyes. Apparently he found that in them which gave him pause, for instead of springing at him, he burst into a volume of threats and filthy abuse. How the matter would have ended, it is difficult to say, but at this juncture Pereira thought it well to interfere, and vigorously. Peace! he thundered in his great voice, his white hair bristling with rage. I have welcomed this man, and he is welcome. Is my word to be set aside by a drunken young brawler like you? Shut your ugly mouth, or by the saints I will have you clapped in irons. The slave-driver obeyed. Perhaps he was not sorry for an excuse to escape the quarrel. At any rate, with a scowl at Leonard, he dropped back and was silent. Harmony being thus restored, Pereira proceeded with the business of the evening. First, however, he called Leonard to him, shook him by the hand, and bade a slave girl bring him drink. Then he addressed the company thus. "'My lambs, my dear companions, my true and trusted friends, this is a sad moment for me, your old leader, for I stand here to bid you good-bye.' "'Tomorrow the nest will know the yellow devil no more, and you must find another captain. "'Alas, I grow old. I am no longer up to the work, and trade is not what it was, "'thanks to these infernal Englishmen and their cruisers which prowl up and down our waters, "'seeking to rob honest men of the fruits of their enterprise.' For nearly fifty years I have been connected with the business, and I think that the natives of these parts will remember me. Not angrily, oh no, but as a benefactor. For have not some twenty thousand of their young people passed through my hands, rescued by me from the curse of barbarism, and sent to learn the blessings of civilization and the arts of peace in the homes of kind and indulgent masters? Sometimes, not often, but now and again, there has been bloodshed in the course of our little expeditions. I regret it. But what will you? These people are so obstinate. They cannot see how well it is for them to come under my wing. And if they try to injure us in our good work, why, we must fight. We all know the bitterness of ingratitude, but we have to put up with it. It is a trial sent to us from heaven, my lambs. Always remember that. So I retire with such modest gains as I have won by a life of labor. Indeed, they have gone before me, lest some of you might be put in the way of temptation, to spend the evening of my day in peace and prayer. And now there is one more little thing. As it chanced during our last journey, the daughter of an accursed Englishman fell into our hands. I took her and brought her here, and as her guardian, I have asked you to meet me tonight, that I may choose her a husband, as it is my duty to do. I cannot keep her myself, for among the settled people near Mozambique, where I am going to live, her presence might lead to awkward questions. So I will be generous, and pass her on to another. But to whom shall I give this prize, this pearl, this sweet and lovely maid? Among so many worthy gentlemen, how can I set one above the other and declare him the most deserving of the girl? I cannot. So I must leave it to chance, for I know that heaven will choose better than I. Therefore to him who is ready to make the largest present to me, I will give this maid to comfort him with her love, to make a present mind, not pay a price. Still... Perhaps it will be best that the amount of the donation should be ascertained in the usual way, by bidding, in ounces of gold, if you please. One condition more, that there shall be nothing irregular in this matter, my friends. The church shall have its say in it, and he whom I select must wed the maid here before us all. 
Have we not a priest at hand, and shall we find no work for him? Now, my children, time draws on. Ho, you, bring out the English girl. This speech was not delivered quite so continuously as it is printed here. On the contrary, it was subject to many interruptions, mostly of an ironical nature. The allusions to a present to be given for the girl and to the proposed marriage ceremony being received with screams of ribald laughter. Now the noise died away, for every eye watched for the appearance of Juana. In a few moments, a figure clad in white and guarded by several men was seen advancing from the direction of the almshouse. This figure came on through the moonlight with a swift, agile step, looking neither to the right nor to the left, till it arrived in front of the veranda and halted. Then it was that Leonard first saw Juana Rod. She was very tall and slight. Her dark hair was twisted into a single knot at the back of her shapely head. Her features were small, her face fair in coloring, and somewhat rounded in form. So much he saw at a glance, but it was not until she looked up and round her that Leonard discovered the girl's peculiar glory, the glory of her eyes. Then, and in that light, he was unable to distinguish their color, a difficult task at any time, for they varied from gray to blue according to the shadows which fell upon them. But he could see that they were wide and splendid, fearless and yet soft. For the rest, she was clad in an Arab robe richly worked and wore sandals upon her feet. Juana stopped in front of the veranda and searched it with her eyes. Presently they ceased their searching and she spoke in a clear, sweet voice. What do you want with me now, Dom Antonio Pereira? she said. My dove, he answered in his coarse, mocking tones. Do not be angry with your slave. I promised you, my dove, that I would find a husband for you, and now all these gallant gentlemen are gathered for the choice. It is your marriage hour, my dove. Dom Antonio Pereira, the girl answered, for the last time I plead to you. I am helpless here among you, and I have done you no injury. Let me go unharmed, I pray of you. "'Let you go unharmed? Why, who would hurt you, my dove?' answered the satyr. "'Yes, that is what I mean to do. I will let you go to a husband.' "'I shall never go to any husband of your choosing, Dom Antonio,' Juana said again in a low and steady voice. "'Be assured of that, all of you. I have no fear of you, for God will help me in my need.' And now, as I have pleaded to you for the last time, so for the last time I warn you, Dom Antonio, and your wicked companions also. Go on with this iniquity if you will, but a judgment awaits you. Death from heaven above is near to you, you murderer, and after death, vengeance. Thus she spoke, not loud indeed, but with conviction a power and a dignity of mien that carried terror to the hearts of the most hardened villains there. It was at the conclusion of her speech that her eyes first met those of Leonard Outram. He was bending forward to listen, and in his grief and anger he had forgotten to preserve the truculent expression which it was his part to wear. Once more Leonard's face was the face of an English gentleman, noble and open, if somewhat stern. Their eyes met, and there was that in his which caused Juana to pause. She looked at him swiftly as though she would read his very soul, and in answer he put all his will and heart's desire into his gaze, the will and the desire that she should know him to be her friend. They had never met before. She did not even dream of his existence, and there was little in Leonard's outward appearance to distinguish him from the ruffians by whom he was surrounded. Yet her quick sense, sharpened by despair, read what was written in his eyes, and read it aright. From that moment, Juana felt she was not alone among these wolves, that there was one person at least who would save her if he could. In an instant, she had searched his face and dropped her eyes again, fearing lest she should awake suspicion. 
Then came a pause, for the minds of men were disturbed. She had aroused some remnant of conscience in them. She had called to life a lively terror of vengeance to come, of vengeance very near at hand. All were affected more or less, but chiefly was he affected to whom she had addressed her words. The yellow devil sank back into the chair from which he had risen to speak, a wonderful chair made of ebony, inlaid with ivory and string seated, with a footstool attached to it. Superstitious dread took hold of him, and he shivered visibly. The scene was one which Leonard never forgot. Above the bright moon shone in the heavens. Before him were rank upon rank of evil faces, each marked with some new emotion, and standing alone in their midst was the beautiful girl, proud in the depth of her shame, defiant even in the power of foes gathered to destroy her. For a while the wind had dropped, and the silence was deep. So deep was it that Leonard could hear the mew of a kitten which had crept from the veranda and was rubbing itself against Juana's foot. She heard it also, and stooping, lifted the little creature and held it to her breast. "'Let her go!' said a voice from the crowd. "'She is a witch and will bring ill luck upon us!' At the sound, Pereira seemed to awake. With a hideous oath, he flung himself from the chair and waddled down the steps toward his victim. "'Curse you, you slut!' he said. Do you think to frighten men with your threats? Let God help you if he can. The yellow devil is God here. You are as much in my power as this brute. And he snatched the kitten from her arms and dashed it to the ground. You see, God does not help the kitten and he will not help you. Here, let men see what they are going to buy. And gripping the breast of her white robe, he rent it open. With one hand, Juana gathered up the torn dress, and with the other she began to do something to her hair. An agony of fear took hold of Leonard. He knew the story of the poison which she carried. Was she about to use it? Once again their eyes met, and there was warning in his glance. Juana loosed her hair indeed, and let it fall about her shoulders, covering her robe rent to the waist. But she did no more. Only after this, Leonard saw that she kept her right hand closed and knew that her death was hidden within it. Then she spoke once more to Pereira. In your last hour, may you remember these two deeds, she said, pointing to the writhing kitten and to her torn dress. Now slaves drew near to do their master's bidding, but the audience would not suffer this. Leave her alone! they said. We can see the girl is fair and perfect. Then the slaves hung back, nor did Pereira repeat his commands. Returning to the veranda, he stood by the chair, and taking an empty glass in his hand by way of an auctioneer's hammer, he began, Gentlemen, I am going to offer you a very choice lot. So choice, it makes up all the sale. The lot is a white girl, half English and half Portuguese by blood. She is well educated and devout. As to her docility, I can say nothing. That will be for her husband to attend to. Of her beauty, I need not speak. You can all see it yourselves. Look at that figure, that hair, those eyes. Have any of you known their equal? Well, this lot will be sold to him among you who is inclined to make me the largest present in compensation. Yes, he may take her at this very hour, and my blessing with her, but there are conditions. He whom I approve must be lawfully married to the girl by the priest Francisco here. And turning, he pointed to a small, melancholy man, with a womanish face and dark blue eyes, who stood in the background, clothed in a somewhat tattered priest's robe. Then I shall have done my duty by her. One thing more, gentlemen. We are not going to waste time in little bids. The upset price will be thirty ounces. Silver, said a voice. Silver? No, of course not. Do you think you are bidding for a nigger girl, fool? Gold, man, gold. Thirty ounces of gold in payment to be made on the nail. There was a groan of disappointment, and one ruffian cried out, 
What are we poor fellows to do? Thirty ounces for a beginning. Where's our chance? What are you to do? Why, work hard at your profession and grow rich, of course. Do you suppose that these prizes are for the poor? Now then, the fair is open. Who bids for the white girl, Juana? Thirty ounces is offered. What advance? What advance? Thirty-five, said a wizened little man with a hectic cough, who looked fitter for a burial than a bridal. Forty, cried another, a purebred Arab of stately appearance and saturnine expression, who wished to add to his harem. Forty-five, answered the wizened man. Then the Arab bid fifty, and for a while it seemed that these two alone were competitors. When the bids had reached seventy ounces, the Arab muttered, Allah, and gave up. He preferred to wait for the Huris. Knock her down, said the wizened man. She is mine. Hold on a bit, my little friend, said the great Portuguese Xavier, who had passed the water gate before Leonard and his companions. I am going to begin now. Seventy-five. Eighty, said the little man. Eighty-five, answered Xavier. Ninety, screamed the other. Ninety-five, said Xavier. A hundred, yelled the small man, snapping his fingers. A hundred and five, replied Xavier, triumphantly capping his bid. Then with a curse, his antagonist gave up also, and the mob shouted, thinking that Xavier had won. Knock her down, Pereira said Xavier in his turn as he surveyed his prize with affected nonchalance. "'Wait a moment,' put in Leonard, speaking for the first time. "'I am going to begin now. A hundred and ten. The multitude shouted again. The contest was growing exciting. Xavier glared at Leonard and bit his fingers with rage. He was very near his limit of possible expenditure. "'Now, then!' cried Pereira, licking his lips for joy, since the prize had already run twenty ounces higher than he expected. Now then, friend Xavier, am I to knock down this beauty to the stranger, Captain Pierre? It sounds a lot, but she is cheap at the price, dirt cheap. Look at her and bid up. But mind, it is cash down, no credit, no, not for an ounce. A hundred and fifteen, said Xavier with the air of a man making his last throw for fortune. A hundred and twenty, replied Leonard quietly. He had bid to the last ounce in his possession, and if Xavier went further he must give in, unless, indeed, he chose to offer Soa's ruby in payment. This, needless to say, he was not anxious to do. Moreover, no one would believe a stone of that size to be genuine. Of all this, however, Leonard showed nothing in his face, but turning coolly, he called to a slave girl to bring him spirits and busied himself with filling the glass. His hand never trembled, for he knew well that his antagonist was watching for a cue, and if he showed uncertainty, all might be lost. But in his heart, Leonard wondered what he should do if another ounce was bid. Meanwhile, the spectators were shouting encouragement, and Pereira was urging Xavier to increase his offer. For a while, the Portuguese hesitated, surveying Juana, who stood pale and silent, her head bowed upon her breast. At this juncture, Leonard turned, the glass still in his hand. "'Did you make any advance, senor?' he asked. "'No, curse you. Take her. I will not put down another ounce for her or any woman on the earth.' Leonard only smiled and looked at Pereira. "'Going?' said that worthy. "'The white girl Juana is going to the stranger, Pierre, for one hundred and twenty ounces of gold. "'Going? Come, Xavier, don't lose her. "'If you do, you will only be sorry once, and that will be always. "'Now for the last time.' And he lifted his glass in his hand and paused. Xavier made a step forward and opened his lips to speak. Leonard's heart stood still, but presently the Portuguese changed his mind and turned away. Gone! screamed Pereira, bringing the glass down so heavily on the arm of his chair that it flew into fragments. Chapter 13 A Midnight Marriage Gone! 
said Pereira again. Now, friend Pierre, before we ratify this matter by the aid of Holy Church, perhaps you will table the gold. This is a cash transaction, remember? Certainly, answered Leonard. Where is that black dog of mine, the dwarf? Ah, there he is. Dog, weigh out the stuff. If you have not enough, here is more. And he unbuckled his belt, from which he had been careful to extract the ruby, and threw it to Otter. Now, gentlemen and companions, he went on, for I hope that we may do business together by and by. Drink my health and my bride's. I have paid pretty dear for her. But what of it? A gentleman of our profession should always be ready to back his fancy, for if his is apt to be a short life, he may as well make it a merry one. She will think the better of you and you of her for it, cried a voice. Here is to Captain Pierre and the girl. And they drank, shouting aloud in their half-drunken merriment. Meanwhile, Otter, advancing with obsequious steps, was pouring handful after handful of gold coin and ingots into the large scales which Pereira caused to be held before him. At length, all the gold was in, a shining heap. The balance does not turn, said Xavier. I claim the girl. Bas, said Otter in a low voice and speaking in Dutch. Have you more gold? The wait is short. Leonard glanced carelessly at the scales. They were trembling on the turn. As much as you like, he said. But here is what will do it. And drawing off his signet ring, he threw it on the pile. The ruby accepted. It was the last thing of value that he had about him. Then the scale vibrated and sank down. Good, said Pereira, rubbing his hands at the sight of so much treasure. Bring me the acid that I may test the stuff. No offense, stranger Pierre, but this is a wicked world in which brass has passed for gold before today. The acid was brought and the ingots were tested at hazard, Pereira holding them up to the light of a lamp. They are good, he said. Now, father, do your part. The priest Francisco stepped forward. He was very pale and seemed terrified. Leonard, watching him, wondered what had brought him into such company, for the man's face was good and even refined. Dom Antonio, said the priest in a soft girlish voice, I protest against this. Fate has brought me among you, though not of my own will, and I have been forced to bear the sight of much evil. But I have wrought none. I have shriven the dying. I have ministered to the sick. I have comforted the oppressed. But I have taken no share of the price of blood. I am a priest of our holy church, and if I wed these two before the sight of men, they will be husband and wife until death and I shall have set the seal of the blessing of the church upon an act of shame. I will not do it. You will not do it, you shaveling traitor! screamed Pereira in a voice hoarse with rage. Do you want to follow your brother then? Look here, my friend, either you obey me and marry these two, or... And he hissed a horrible threat. No, no, said Leonard, anxious to find an escape from this abominable mockery. Let him be. What do the cheat's prayers matter? The lady and I can do without them. I tell you, stranger, that you shall marry the girl, and this sniveller must marry you. If you don't, I will keep both her and the gold. As for him, he can choose. Here, slaves, bring the jambak. Francisco's delicate face flushed pink. I am no hero that I can suffer thus, he said. I will do your bidding, Dom Antonio, and may God forgive me the sin. For you, Pierre and Juana, I am about to make you man and wife, to join you in a sacrament that is none the less holy and indissoluble because of the dreadful circumstances under which it is celebrated. I say to you, Pierre, Abandon your wickedness and love and cherish this woman, lest a curse from heaven fall upon you. I say to you, Juana, put your trust in God, the God of the fatherless and oppressed, who will avenge your wrongs, and forgive me. 
Let water be brought that I may consecrate it, water and a ring. Here, take this one, said Pereira, lifting Leonard's signet ring from the pile of gold. I give it back for a luck penny. And he tossed the ring to the priest. Water was brought in a basin, and the father consecrated it. Then he bade Leonard stand by the girl and motioned to the crowd to fall back from them. All this while Leonard had been watching Juana. She said no word, and her face was calm, but her eyes told him the terror and perplexity which tore her heart. Once or twice she lifted her clenched right hand toward her lips, then dropped it without touching them. Leonard knew but too well what deed she meditated. He knew also the deadly nature of the drug she carried. If once it touched her tongue, the suspense was terrible. He could bear it no longer. Even at the risk of discovery, he must speak with her. In obedience to the priest's direction, he sauntered to her side, laughing. Then, still laughing with his hand, he separated the tresses of dark hair, as though to look at the beauty of her side face, and bent down as if to kiss her. She stood pale and rigid, but once more her hand was lifted toward her mouth. Stop, he whispered swiftly into her ear, speaking in English. I have come to rescue you. Go through with this farce. It means nothing. Then, if I bid you, run for the drawbridge into the slave camp. She heard. A light of intelligence shone in her eyes, and her hand fell again. Come, stop that, friend Pierre, said Pereira suspiciously. What are you whispering about? I was telling the bride how beautiful I think her, he answered carelessly. Juana turned and flashed on him a well-simulated glance of hate and scorn. Then the service began. The young priest was gifted with a low and beautiful voice, and by the light of the moon he read the ritual of marriage so solemnly that even the villains who stood round ceased their jokes and sneers and were silent. All things were done in order, though Juana made no reply to the usual questions. With much sham courtesy, the loathsome Pereira presided over the ceremony. Their hands were joined. The ring was set upon Juana's finger. A blessing was pronounced, and it was finished. All this while, Leonard stood like a man in a dream. He felt as though he were really being married. It even came into his mind as he looked upon the loveliness of the mock bride at his side, that a worse fate might befall him. Then of a sudden he woke from his reverie. The farce was played. Now they must strive to escape. There, now that is done with, Dom Antonio, he said. And I think I heard this lady whisper that with your permission we will bid you good-bye. My canoe. Nonsense, you will stop here tonight, said Pereira. Thanks, I think not, answered Leonard. Tomorrow I may return to do a little business of another kind. I have a commission for about fifty at a good price for the right sort. As Leonard spoke thus, glancing to the east, he saw dense masses of vapor rising into the air far away. The damp reeds were fired at last. The settlement men had not failed in their task, and soon the flames would be discovered. He must be gone, and swiftly. "'Well, if you must, you must,' answered Pereira, and Leonard observed that he looked relieved as he said it. He did not know the reason at the time. It was this— Juana had told him that the man who bought her would find his death in it. He had a superstitious fear of the girl and believed her. Therefore, he was glad that her purchaser should go, lest it might be said that he had murdered him in order to retain both the woman and her price. So he bade him farewell, and Leonard turned to depart, followed by Otter and Juana, whom he led by the hand. All might have gone well for that time had it not been for an unlucky chance. Leonard's scheme was to walk toward the water gate, but if no better plan of reaching it should offer, to turn suddenly and run for the drawbridge, where Soa and the others would be waiting, and thence, with or without the people of Mavum, to escape up the banks of the Zambezi. Already he had started when the great Portuguese, Xavier, who was watching, plunged in sullen thought, stepped forward. "'At least I will have a kiss for my trouble.' he said, and seizing Juana round the waist, he drew her toward him. 
Then it was that Leonard forgot his caution, as under such circumstances a man with nerves already strained to the breaking point might well do. Doubling his fist, he struck the giant in the face with such force that Xavier fell headlong to the ground, dragging Juana after him. Leonard would have done better had he suffered her to be insulted, but just then he remembered only that he was protecting a helpless girl. Juana was up in a moment, and at his side. Xavier also sprang to his feet, cursing with fury and drawing his saber as he rose. "'Follow me,' said Leonard to Juana and Otter. Then, without more ado, he took to his heels. A shout of laughter went up from the mob. "'This is the brave man! This is the French fire-eater!' they cried. "'He strikes unawares and is afraid to fight!' Nor did they stop at words. All of them were jealous of the stranger and would have rejoiced to see him dead. "'Stop him!' they shouted, and many of the men started running like dogs to turn a hare. Still, Leonard might have won through, for he was swift of foot. But neither Juana nor Otter could run so fast as he, and his pace must be their pace. Before he had gone a hundred yards, he found himself confronted by a dozen or more of the slavers, some of whom had knives in their hands. "'Stop, coward! Stop and fight!' they yelled in Portuguese and Arabic, waving their weapons in his face. "'Certainly!' answered Leonard, wheeling round and glancing about him. There, not thirty yards away, was the drawbridge of the slave camp, and he thought he saw it tremble as if it were about to fall. At his side were Otter and Juana, and toward him his hideous face, red with blood, rushed the great Portuguese saber aloft and screaming imprecations. Otter, Leonard said quickly as he drew his sword, guard my back. For when I have killed this one, the rest will spring. For you, young lady, reach the bridge if you can. Soa and your people are there. Now Xavier was upon him with a rush. He struck furiously, and Leonard avoided the blow, springing backwards out of his reach. Twice more he rushed on thus, and twice he smote. But each time Leonard ran backward toward the drawbridge, that now was not more than twenty yards away. A fourth time the Portuguese came on, and the Englishman could not repeat his tactics, for the mob hemmed him in behind. On sped Xavier and smote his hardest. Leonard saw the steel gleam in the moonlight and lifted his sword to guard. The blow fell, fires sprang from it in sparks, and down rattled fragments of shattered steel. His sword was broken. "'Fight on, boss,' said the voice of Otter. "'Fight on!' Both swords have gone. Leonard looked up. It was true. The Portuguese was casting aside his broken weapon and clutching at his knife. Now Leonard had no knife, and at the moment he never thought of his revolver. But he still held the hilt of his sword, and with it he sprang straight at Xavier, who rushed to meet him. They met with a dull shock, as bull meets bull. Leonard struck one blow with the broken sword hilt, then dropped it. It was useless. But the stroke did him good service, for, falling on the right hand of the Portuguese, it paralyzed his arm for a second, causing him to let fall the dagger. Then they gripped each other, fighting desperately with their naked strength alone. Twice the huge Portuguese lifted the Englishman from the ground, striving to throw him while the crowd yelled with excitement, but twice he failed. Not for nothing had Leonard learnt wrestling as a lad and hardened his iron muscles by years of toil. Xavier may have weighed sixteen stone, and Leonard did not weigh thirteen, but his arms were like bars of steel, and he was struggling for dear life. He waited a while, letting the Portuguese exhaust himself in efforts to hurl him to the ground. Then, suddenly tightening his grip, Leonard put out all his strength. He could not hope to lift the man that he knew, but he might throw him. With a sudden movement, he hooked his right leg behind Xavier's left calf. Then he cast his weight forward and pushed with all his strength upon the great man's breast. Xavier tottered, recovered himself, tottered again, and strove to shift his leg. Leonard felt the movement and met it with supreme effort. Losing his balance, his foe swayed slowly backwards like a falling tree, then fell with a thud that shook the ground. It was a gallant throw, and even the ranks of Tusculum, as represented by the slave drivers, could scarce forbear to cheer. 
Now Leonard lay upon the breast of the man, for he was dragged to earth with him. For the moment his enemy was still, breathing stertorously, for the shock of their fall had been great. Leonard looked round. There, some eight feet away, was the knife, and he who could grasp it must win this deadly game. But how could he grasp it? Xavier, whose strength and powers were coming back, still hugged him in his fearful grip. He also saw the knife and would win it. Rapidly, by instinct almost, Leonard measured the distance with his eye. There was but one plan, to roll to it. The first roll would leave him undermost, but the dagger would still be out of Xavier's reach. Then, could he succeed in turning him upon his back once more, Leonard would be uppermost again, and if he was able to free his hand, it might grasp the weapon. It was a terrible risk, but he must take it. He lay motionless a while, husbanding his force, and the Portuguese surged and heaved beneath him. He could feel the muscles of his mighty frame start up in knots as he struggled. At last Leonard let him have his way, and over they went, the two of them. Now Xavier was uppermost, and the mob yelled in triumph, for they thought the stranger's strength was spent. "'The knife! The knife!' gasped Xavier, and one of his servants sprang forward to give it to him. But Otter was watching, and started out of the press, naked saber in hand. His fierce and ugly face was twitching with excitement. His black eyes shone, and his vast shoulders worked to and fro. To Juana, fascinated by the fearful struggle, the dwarf looked like some black gnome, like a thing of supernatural power, half toad, half human. "'He who touches the knife dies,' he said in guttural Arabic, stretching his long arm and saber over it. "'Let these cocks fight it out, my masters!' The man shrank back. He also was afraid of Otter, deeming him uncanny, nor did any other interfere. Now came the moment of death or victory. As he could not reach the weapon, with a sudden movement Xavier freed his right hand and grasped the Englishman's throat. But to do this he must lessen the pressure on his breast. Leonard felt the grip, and the knowledge that his end was at hand renewed his powers. Twice he writhed like a snake, gripping the ground with the muscles of his back and legs. Once he swung his frame to the right, then a vast effort, and lo! Xavier turned slowly over like a log of wood, and again Leonard lay upon his breast. Leonard lay upon his breast, and his right arm was free and within reach of the dagger. But the giant's grasp of his throat was cruel. The blood drummed in his ears, and his senses began to fail. No. He would not die thus and leave the girl helpless. Where was it? He was blind. He could see nothing but her white face. He must get free. Ah, he knew now. They thought that he was spent. See? His head fell. When suddenly he lifted himself and heaved up his arm. Crash it came full on the forehead of Xavier, that in its turn was pillowed on the stony earth. The grip slackened. Crash again! A fearful and despairing blow. Leonard's throat was free, and the air rushed into his burning lungs. Now he could see and grasp the knife. But there was no need to use it. The great man beneath him flung his arms wide, shivered, and grew still. Then it was, while men paused wondering at those awful blows, that Juana, mindful of her deliverer's bidding, turned and fled, sick at heart, but unhindered, to the edge of the ditch opposite the drawbridge. Otter also rushed up and dragged Leonard from the ground. "'Wow!' he cried. "'A good fight and a great blow, dead by my mother's spirit and no touch of steel. Awake, my father, awake, for if the boar is down, the pigs remain.' Leonard heard his words dimly and knew their import. With an effort he ceased to stagger and rested his weight upon the dwarf, much as a man might lean upon some sturdy post. His breath came back to him, and his mind cleared. He looked round and saw Juana standing near the bridge like one who hesitates whether to fly or to stay. "'Sirs,' gasped Leonard, "'I have fought and I have won. Now let me go in peace with the girl.' Is the man alive? A ring of men had crowded round the body of Xavier, and in their center knelt the priest Francisco. At this moment he rose and said, 
It is useless to minister to him. He is no more. The slavers looked at Leonard with awe not unmixed with admiration. Who had ever seen such a thing, that one whose strength had been a byword should be slain with the naked fist? They forgot that it is easy to kill the man whose head rests upon a stone. Presently, however, their wonder gave way to rage. Xavier had been a favorite among them, and they were not minded that he should die unavenged, so they drew round Leonard, scowling and cursing. "'Stand back,' he said, "'and let me pass. I fought your friend fairly. Had I wished to take advantage of him, should I not have used this?' And for the first time he remembered and drew his colt, the sight of which cooled their ardor somewhat, for they gave way. "'Perhaps you will give me an arm, father?' Leonard went on, speaking to the priest who was standing by. "'I am much shaken.' Francisco complied, and they started toward Juana, Otter guarding their rear with his saber. Before they had gone ten yards, however, Pereira waddled toward them after a hasty consultation with one of his captains. "'Seize that man!' he shouted. "'He has killed the worthy Dom Xavier. "'Having first insulted him, he has slain him by violence, "'and he must answer for it.' "'A dozen ruffians sprang forward at his bidding, "'only to be met by the saber and pistol of Otter, "'with neither of which were they anxious to make a closer acquaintance. "'Leonard saw that the position was very grave, "'and a thought came into his mind. "'You wish to escape from this place, father?' "'he said rapidly to the priest.' "'Yes,' answered Francisco. "'It is a hell.' "'Then lead me as swiftly as you may to the bridge. "'I am hurt and weak, but there is succor beyond.' "'As he spoke, the drawbridge, which was not ten yards away, "'fell with a crash. "'Run across, Juana Rod,' cried Leonard in English. "'She hesitated, then obeyed. "'It seemed to Leonard that the look upon her face said, "'How can I leave you?' Now, father, said Leonard, make a rush for it. And leaning on the priest's shoulder, he stumbled toward the bridge. But he would never have reached it had it not been for Otter. Treason, roared Pereira. Stop him. Who let down the bridge? A man came on the attack. It was the same young captain that Leonard had offered to fight before the auction. In his hand was a knife already uplifted to fall on Leonard's back, when Otter's saber flashed, and the man went down. "'Seize the bridge and hold it!' roared Pereira again. "'Wind up! Wind up!' yelled Otter in answer, as with saber and pistol he held back the mob. Those on the further side obeyed with such a will that Leonard and the priest rolled down the slanting planks. "'Otter!' cried Leonard. "'Good God! He will be killed!' By way of answer, Otter fired the last barrel of his pistol. Then, with a yell before his foes could close upon him, he sprang like a wildcat straight at the iron chains of the bridge, which were used to secure it in its place when needful. At the moment, they hung four feet or more above his head, but he grasped them and shouted to Soa to hoist away. A man attempted to seize his legs, but Otter kicked him in the face and he fell into the water. Next second, he was out of their reach and rapidly rising high into the air. Some threw knives, and some fired pistol shots after him, but none of these touched him. "'Ah, yellow devil!' the dwarf cried as he swung. "'Look behind you. There is another devil, yellower and fiercer than you!' Pereira turned, and all his company with him, and at that moment, with a crackling roar, a vast sheet of flame burst up from the morass. The reeds had caught at last in good earnest, and the strengthening wind was bringing the fire down upon them. Wow! To borrow a phrase from our friend Otter. <laughs> and that roller coaster ride is not down yet. We're not ready to zoom back up another hill. We've got a little bit more of that loop-de-loop, -loop, and I'm sorry to leave us hanging upside down, as it were, but <laughs> I could only fit so much in. It's going to keep going. So I hope everybody enjoyed that. I know, as I mentioned, I did intensely. 
I don't think there's a lot to say about it. It was pretty pure adventure. Except for Juana and Leonard's eyes meeting. We'll see if there's more of that understanding as we go. In other news, in other news, I can't really think of anything except that Scott and I discussed Good Omens by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. That was a lot of fun. We also touched on the new movie out, Noah, Dan Brown, and a couple of other things. So we were talking about some big issues and the book. So if you want to check that out at A Good Story is Hard to Find, I'll have that link. This weekend, I'm going to record with the guys at SFF Audio a discussion of the Sherlock Holmes novel, The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh my word, I'd forgotten what a good book it is. And even though I kind of remembered the basics of some of the solution, you know, it had been long enough that that Arthur Conan Doyle, he still surprised me. And there were a couple of places where he made me laugh. Because since the story's told by Watson, we're getting a few comments here and there that we don't get in the short stories. There's a little more time for reflection. so. That should be a very entertaining discussion, at least for those of us taking part in it. That probably will not come live for a couple of weeks, which gives you time to read the book if you haven't and you want to listen to it later. I'll be sure and let you know when it comes out. That's all I really can think of off the top of my head. Right now, we have entered the beginning of tornado season in Texas. The weather's going back and forth between warm and cool. And we're getting things like hailstorms, all that kind of stuff. In fact, last weekend, Tom and I went to a workshop for this marriage retreat down to San Antonio, and we took a lot of back roads, which was really fun because that's when you really see the countryside. Where do you live? Do you know it until you're taking some of those back roads and seeing where a lot of people live and it's just the country? It was great. We stopped at historical markers. We ate at local cafes. We went and looked at county squares. I love that stuff. And we discovered some good places on the way, too. But one of the things that happened to us was we were having one of those huge black thunderclouds come over us. And we're driving along doing about 60 on this back road. And suddenly it starts hailing. And this was not small hail. And we had to pull over. It never occurred to me. I've never been driving in a hailstorm, but when you're driving, you're increasing the speed at which the hail is hitting you and much more likely to crack the windshield, which luckily didn't happen to us. We did pull over at a very sketchy looking place at the side of the road, a bar where there was a very tattooed gentleman with two large pit bulls standing in the doorway, also looking at the hail. We all exchanged waves. I smiled at the dogs and was happy we were just sitting there and didn't need to get out of the car, though he may have been a very nice gentleman once I talked to him. But the stereotype was kind of hitting me in the face. But that's all part of the adventure, right? You don't know what's going to happen. It's a little less predictable. And that's kind of what makes it fun. And then on the way back, I-35 was down to one lane and to a dead stop at one point. And so we did what we did when we were coming back last summer from the East Coast, pulled out the old iPad, thank goodness for cell coverage, looked at Apple Maps, and sure enough, there was the old U.S. highway. And we took that, and it was a Sunday evening. It was beautiful outside. The sun was not quite yet setting. And we were the only ones on the road, essentially going through these lush fields, these country neighborhoods, these little tiny towns. We felt like we wanted to buy a house out there and settle down. We could not earn a living that way, so that's just a dream. But it was a wonderful oasis of refreshment in the middle of that highway drive. <sighs> it was nice. It was nice to get away and, as always, nice to come home. So if you haven't taken a drive out by even just a different road through a different neighborhood, that might be something you want to try. Just shake it up a little bit. We sure had a lot of fun doing it. And that's all I've really got this week, except to say, 
as always, thank you for coming by. I really appreciate it because I certainly wouldn't be reading this out loud. And oh my gosh, this book, as much fun as it is to read, it's just even more fun to read it out loud. Ah, ah, such a great time. And I'm so glad you're here to listen to it with me. Oh, also thanks to Wendy for her very, very nice comment at episode 250. That put a big smile on my face, made me feel great. Thank you so much. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.